Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. I want to welcome you to the Determined Truth Podcast. Uh, this series of podcasts, we're going to be studying the Gospel of Mark. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, I encourage you to do so by downloading the Podbean app on your smartphone and following the Determined Truth Podcast. As we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark, today we're going to look at chapter 1, verse 12, to the end of the chapter. Immediately it says in Mark 1, verse 12, The Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. Mark chapter 1, verse 12 begins with the Holy Spirit sending Jesus out into the wilderness. It affirms, of course, that Jesus is the servant of Israel, the, the servant of the Old Testament promises. Isaiah 42, verse 1 says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Jesus being sent out in the wilderness, of course, for 40 days, reminds us of the new exodus. Both Israel uh, came out of Egypt and uh, through the Red Sea and were, spent 40 years in the wilderness, so Jesus spends 40 days. Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai. Elijah spent 40 days on Mount Horeb. It reminds us then that Jesus is the new Israel and the fulfillment of God's promises. The problem, of course, is going to be the devil. The devil is the adversary. He was in the wilderness, verse 13 says, 40 days being tempted by Satan. One of the big questions that Mark's going to raise up for the people of Israel and the first readers of, uh, and the followers of Jesus in the first century was, uh, who was the enemy? Uh, for Jewish people of their day, it was Rome. Uh, Rome is nothing different than all the empires in history that have persecuted and opposed God's people. The enemy is, the, is them. Uh, it was Egypt in the Old Testament, and then it was uh, Assyria, and then it was Babylonia, and then it was uh, the Persians and the Greeks, and, and now it's Rome. And Jesus is going to come along and say, no, Rome is not the enemy. The, the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham included the fact that Abraham would be a blessing to all the nations. But the Israelites had lost sight of that. They had lost sight of that, first off, by the conviction that, that we're the good people, we're, we're the sons of Abraham. We are Abraham's descendants, and therefore we are the ones who are blessed. Now, they realized initially that they were to be a blessing to the, to, to the nations. But over the course of years, when the nations continuously opposed uh, uh, the people of Israel and God's people, eventually it just simply became uh, uh, easier to understand the enemies as the them. Uh, and they failed to, 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 to remember and, and to recall that they were actually called to be a light unto the nations. Uh, Mark chapter 1 verse 14 says, After John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now it's important to remember that when we're reading the gospel of Mark, that Mark's first readers would have been familiar with the story after John had been taken into custody, assumes that you know the story of John the Baptist and his arrest and his having been taken into a custody. So even though the Gospel of Mark was likely the first gospel to have been written, it was likely written to a community of people that already knew the basics of the story. And that story included the fact that John the Baptist had been taken into prison. Jesus then goes into Galilee. Galilee is a region up in the northern part of, uh, of Israel at the time, predominantly a Jewish region. And there he was preaching the gospel of God. Now, the New American Standard, which I customarily will read here on this podcast, says that he was preaching the gospel of God and saying. Well, that, that's not two different things. Uh, a, a fine way of translating the Greek would be he was preaching the gospel of God, saying, and here's what he was saying, 
The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. Uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, the kingdom of God, of course, is the totality of God's work in redeeming and restoring creation. The kingdom of God begins first off with understanding that God is the king. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God coming to restore his people to, to the land and fulfill God's promises. But that means then by nature that when he becomes king, when he is crowned Lord, that God's kingdom has been established on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the translation, the kingdom of God is at hand, as the New American Standard uh, translation has. It is uh, sometimes translated as uh, the kingdom of God is near by, by various translations. Uh, now, the Greek is fairly clear. The idea being uh, that uh, the kingdom of God is present, uh, 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 present amongst us. Different translations will say, uh, the, the ESV says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God's at hand, uh, like the New American Standard says. But the Net Bible says the kingdom of God is near. The NIV says the kingdom of God is near, uh, as well as the New Living Translation, as well as the New Revised Standard Version. The kingdom of God is near. But this idea of nearness that we commonly think in terms of time. Uh, okay, it's near in terms of time. That means it's, it's not here yet, but it's close. Um, but in, uh, instead of that, I think the best way to understand this uh, particular word used in the Greek is that it refers to a spatial nearness. The kingdom of God is near. It's, it's present. You see, we're going to find as we go through the Gospels that the kingdom of God is present in Jesus. Uh, the kingdom of God is in your midst, Jesus will say, uh, meaning it was present with him. It's near you. It's next to you. It's close at hand. Uh, uh, it's, it's present now. Because look at the next phrase. It says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. I think that's why the New American Standard and the ESV will translate this word as is at hand, not because it means a nearness in terms of time, but because the nearness spatially means it's present now because I am in your midst. As a result of the fact that the kingdom of God is near, is present in me and I'm in your midst, then the only response becomes to repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news. Now, as we go to the Gospel of Mark, what we're going to note now is that there's going to be two key questions that Mark's Gospel wants us to answer. The first question is, who is Jesus? Now, Mark has already told us from chapter 1, verse 1, that Jesus is the Son of God. So we, as the readers of Mark's Gospel, already know the answer to this question. But as we proceed to the Gospel, we're going to see different groups of people grappling with this question, who is this? The disciples in chapter 4 are going to go, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Uh, the Pharisees and religious leaders are going to question who this, who is this that forgives sins in chapter 2. One thing that will be very intriguing to note, though, of course, is that the demons know who Jesus is from the beginning. Verse 24 of chapter 1, what, ha what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons know who he is, but everybody else is going to be grappling with who this person is. The Pharisees will come to discern who they think Jesus is, and they just simply won't like it, so they're going to want him dead. The disciples are constantly going to be grappling all the way through the, the entirety of the gospel with who Jesus actually is. Now, the second key question in the Gospel of, uh, the gospel of Mark uh, is, what does it mean to be his disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And we're going to begin to see this answer now as we move to verse 16. It says in Mark 1, verse 16, He was going along by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, Follow me, I'll make you become fishers of men. They immediately left the nets and followed him, and going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, 
who were also in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servants, who went away to follow him. Now, I like telling this story and kind of leaving it sit right there, and you can even add uh, the story of Jesus calling Matthew the tax collector, where he says, follow me, and Matthew jumps out of his tax collector booth and begins to follow Jesus. And, and just to kind of stop there and say, look, if Jesus called you, would you jump out of your tax collector's booth? Uh, if Jesus called you, would you jump out of the boat and leave your father and all the hired men behind and follow Jesus? It's a great question, but we realize, of course, that when we read the other Gospels, that there might be a little bit more to the story. Uh, at first reading, at least at reading the Gospel of Mark, it appears that Jesus walks up onto the Sea of Galilee. The disciples have no clue who this guy is. He says, follow me. They jump out of the boats and they begin to follow him. But as we read the other Gospels, we begin to find out that, especially in the Gospel of John, that Peter and Andrew and, and, and John, they had actually seen Jesus earlier. They were actually disciples of John the Baptist, apparently, according to John chapter 1. And John the Baptist, when he baptized Jesus, he tells his disciples, this is the guy. I was told that the one that you need to follow is the one upon whom the Spirit of God would descend and rest upon him. And I have seen the Spirit of God descend and rest upon him. That's your man. So Jesus then meets with James and, and Peter and Andrew and John in uh, John chapter 1. And he tells them, uh, you know, hey, I am the Christ. Um, and apparently he tells them, go back up to Galilee, and when it's my time, I'll come get you. As we read the other Gospels, we realize that Jesus is going to go off into the wilderness where he's tempted and tested by the devil for 40 days. And perhaps at the end of the 40 days, these disciples have been gone back to Galilee and resumed their fishing businesses and their occupations. And now Jesus comes alongside and says, okay, guys, now it's time. Follow me. So they've actually been waiting for Jesus to come back. So it's not simply that they walk up having never seen Jesus. He says, follow me, and they jump out of the boats. Even though that makes for good sermons and good preaching, there's actually more to it than, than what we understand, what's going on. So the, uh, Jesus then tells the disciples, follow me, and they begin to follow him. The, the next story, of course, is that Jesus begins to drive out an evil spirit. John, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 21. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. And just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, and come out of him. Throwing him into a convulsion, the unclean spirit, uh, uh, spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? a new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately the news about him went out everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. Jesus, of course, is the Holy One of God, and his mission is to drive out the enemy. Uh, the enemy, of course, is the devil. It's not Rome. It's not the other nations. It's not the people around us. It's the devil. Jesus is the answer to Israel's plea for Yahweh to come, and he's come, and he's come in strength. But note again the demons, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Jesus commands the demon, of course, to be quiet, which we're going to see often in the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus will commonly conceal his identity and tell people to be quiet, because they knew who he was. Now, why does Jesus tell them to be quiet? I mean, after all, they're, they're confessing who Jesus is. We know who you are, the Holy One of God. Well, there's a number of possible reasons. One, of course, is that the idea of Messiah, uh, Messiah being the king, 
the, the Hebrew word Messiah in Greek is Christ. In English, it means the, the anointed one. And it refers to the, the, the anointed one as the king. Uh, well, it has military overtones. Thus, if Jesus had too many people proclaiming that he was the Messiah, it could well have uh, uh, raised up even more opposition against him and perhaps hastened his own death. For Mark, however, um, uh, it's only at the cross that one can truly recognize who Jesus is. Thus, perhaps all prior announcements of who Jesus is are merely speculations, and Jesus certainly doesn't want a demon speculating as to who he is or, or proclaiming who he is. Only after the cross can one truly understand who Jesus is. Remember, Mark's gospel begins in chapter 1, verse 1, with the designation of Jesus as the Son of God. That climax is going to be at the cross when a Roman centurion looks at Jesus and says, Surely this man was the Son of God. Now, the next story in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, of course, is the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, it's the Sabbath day, we're told, and uh, Jesus goes to Peter's home where his mother-in-law up in the city of Capernaum uh, had a fever. He took her by the hand and he, and he helped her up. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, it seems as though this isn't just a mere healing, it's an exorcism. It appears that, that it was an unclean spirit that caused her uh, to be ill, which fits, of course, with the fact that Jesus' enemy is the devil. And if the kingdom of God has come, then the enemy must be expelled. Uh, now, they wait until the, the everyone else, of course, waits until the Sabbath day, verse 32. And it says, when evening had come, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. He healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they, they knew who he was. Now, Mark's gospel is then going to end uh, this first chapter. Uh, with Jesus going out very early in the morning, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place. You see, the people didn't want to come during the Sabbath day to be healed, so they had to wait till sundown. At sundown, it would not be against the Pharisaical understanding of the law to be healed of various diseases uh, because the Sabbath would have ended. So you can imagine Jesus working very late into the night, healing all these people with various diseases. So what happens? Even then, early in the morning, while it was still dark, after working a long evening, doing miracle after miracle after miracle, Jesus still has the habit of getting up early in the morning going out to a lonely place and praying there. I think this is an important aspect of any part of the, any of the gospel stories, but especially the gospel of Mark. Jesus constantly was in prayer. And even after working a long night, no one would, would, would deny him the ability to sleep in the following morning. But he knows how important prayer is. And he knows that he has to go to a solitary place to, find, uh, to go off and to pray. And so he does so. We can learn a lot from this. That Jesus needed to constantly be in prayer if he needed to be diligent about his own prayer life, how much more shall we? It says in verse 36 that Simon and his companions hunted for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus said to them, Let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby, in order that I may preach there also, also for that is what I came for. He went into their synagogues throughout all of Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. Now, uh, the, the, the Greek text uh, says that they were looking for Jesus, and uh, my translation says that they hunted for him. Uh, the ESV says they, they searched for him. They searched difficulty, uh, with difficulty. Uh, the NIV says they, they went to look for him, but the Greek conveys this, this difficulty in finding him. Jesus knows the value of prayer, and he not only knows that, but he goes off to a, a lonely place such that the disciples actually had difficulty in finding him. Mark chapter 1 then ends with the story of the cleansing of a leper. 
Jesus heals the man, we're told, because of compassion, it says. In verse uh, 41, the man was, uh, Jesus was moved with compassion. He stretched out his hand and he touched the man. And he said, I am willing, be cleansed. The man appears to have total faith in Jesus. In verse 40, it says, he came to Jesus beseeching him to, and falling on his knees saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I, I know you can do it, Jesus. The only thing that's needed is your willingness. Jesus' Jesus's response, of course, is I'm willing. Um, but he stretched out his hand and he touched him. And that's something very intriguing because Jesus can heal people from a distance. We know on some occasions that uh, messengers are en route to, to, to tell Jesus about someone who's ill and Jesus heals that person via distance without ever going, without ever being present. But in this instance, he touches the man. You got to remember the man's a leper. Because he's a leper, he's unclean. Because he's unclean. No one has touched this man perhaps for years. To touch a leper makes you unclean. See, uncleanness is conveyed to someone else. But what's interesting is Jesus, whenever he touches the unclean, Jesus never becomes unclean, but the unclean become clean. Jesus then sends the men away with a strong warning. Go to the priests, he says. Um, verse 44, uh, he said, say, say nothing to anyone, but go yourself and show yourself to the priest and offer for yourself cleansing, uh, for your cleansing, what Moses commanded for a testimony to them. The man went out and began to publicly proclaim about Jesus anyways and spread the good news to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed in the unpopulated areas, for they were coming to him from everywhere. Jesus wants this man to not only be healed, and be but to be restored to society. To be restored to society, he must follow the Mosaic law. He, Jesus doesn't deny the Mosaic law and the prescriptions that are in the law. He tells this man, go do what the law prescribes and present yourself so that you may be healed. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.